The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Absurd Psychology, straight answers without all the bull. Your host is Dr. Gary Bell. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell, and I am so fortunate to be with Pastor Chuck Boer of Crossroads Christian Church in Corona, California. <laughs> Welcome, Pastor. Um, this is a program we've titled uh, Psychology and Religion. It's Purpose, Passion, and Peace. And what I'm really going for here, and it's extremely important to understand, is what we're trying to find the avenues where both psychology and religion work in parallel on helping people. And uh, there's a quote I found. It was an interesting quote. It was anonymous. And it's, uh, religion is like holding on a rock in the middle of raging waters, and faith is like learning how to swim. <laughs> so, you know, from the elements of psychology that work well with, with uh, belief in God, I believe, and this is just me, first and foremost, the idea is that our lives are bigger than us. We're, we are souls living a human life, and we have the opportunity to touch other people's souls through our human lives that may profoundly influence other people's course of existence and live far beyond us. So when we pass, what we've taught and what, what they've learned from us goes on beyond us. It's our legacy. And, and this is often done through our beliefs and insight and example. And, and I believe personally, and I've said this before, that Memories are our legacy. It's not our possessions. It's not all the things that we've given people. It is truly memories is where our lives go beyond us. And the good we can draw out of ourselves and others is our purpose. And an extremely important element I see also in psychology and religion is having faith in ourselves, faith in God, faith in our partners and other people. Faith is the bridge to trust. And if people will understand that a gesture of faith and operating in faith will bring to trust, and this is my personal belief, is that that's how they can heal their relationship. Another gigantic uh, gap in the human spirit can be the ability and knowledge of how to forgive, the knowledge of how to forgive, because many people cite examples of how to forgive, but they don't know personally how to forgive. And I find that a lot in the work that I do with people, that they talk about forgiveness, but they don't understand the practice of forgiveness. And I will tell you personally, I believe that the Christian Bible itself is the most popular self-help book in in the history of the world. So Pastor Chuck, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Once again, Pastor Chuck Boer is of Crossroads Christian Church in Corona, California. 
Pastor Chuck began his ministry at Crossroads Christian Church as a youth pastor in 1985. He is now the senior pastor since 2007, and he is the most recent author of Great and Mighty Things. He took over Crossroads and probably, and I'm sure you can express it better than I, his, their most darkest moment. And they were about to close their doors. And seven years later, Crossroads is considered a mega church, one of the fastest growing churches in the world. And that's something he and the elders and the people that are members of this church are quite proud of. And uh, his, pa- his congregation here is passionately committed to Christ, his cause, his community. And I want to welcome you. Well, it's good to be here, Gary. So first off, you, you wrote a book, Great and Mighty Things. This was what, four or five months ago? Uh, yeah, it just came out not too long ago, and I want to tell you, it's uh, it was harder than I thought to write a book, but it was fun to do, and it was uh, it, it was really kind of invigorating to relive the memories of what God did uh, when we first came here in 2007, because it was a tough time, and the problems were big when I came, and they just tended to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and uh, yet it just seemed like more often than not, and actually way more often than not, Every time we encountered a huge problem, God would show us something and do something that created a miraculous moment. That's why it's based on Jeremiah 33, 3, where God says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things you do not know. And God began to show us things. He began to bring people to us. And so uh, in March, we were close to closing our doors and really close to having that happen because of a mountain of debt and some things that occurred, you know, in the turning of the economy. And then by the end of August, we were completely out and actually had a a more unified church. And uh, it was just incredible to see all the miracles that took place to get us there. Wow, that is that is awesome. I mean, that's so quick. March to to August. Yeah, it really was. It was a a pretty amazing thing when you especially take into account that while Corona is not a poor area, it's also not an immensely wealthy area. Correct. And uh, the other thing is the economy had changed on us. So all of a sudden people are losing their homes, businesses are closing, mm-hmm. housing developments quit happening. And yet in the midst of that, um, our people rallied together and gave of themselves. Uh, so we ended up raising about $700,000 in 40 days to wipe out $540,000 of debt. Um, but then beyond that, it was during that season, more people started to coming to know Christ. The church was growing. Uh, you know, we were watching people's lives change. It was a really exciting time. So it was truly, uh, when we say it was great and mighty, it was things that no way we could have orchestrated. Wow. Wow. You know, uh, your book, is it just focused on the church itself? I mean, I, I, I understand from the book that a lot of it is about the growth of the church. But was there other meaning in there for you? Yeah, actually, there really is. My hope on the book is that when people read it, they see, number one, um, how we should react and how we should act in the midst of problems that are bigger than us. And so even though it's the crossroads story for the first half of the book, it really is more of learning how to navigate through those times and let God take you through it, especially if you're a leader in those times. The second half of the book, though, is the part I love the most, and that's how do we then tune into God? If he says, call to me and I will answer you, how do we call to him and find his answer? And then finding him in in the Hebrew word there is very interesting. It says he he will show us, but it also could be he'll tell us great and mighty things. 
So how do we hear from God? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people are in a situation going, does God really speak to me? Does God really show me things? Does God really guide me? Mm-hmm. And so the last half of the book is on how you allow God to do that. That is incredible. That's great stuff. Uh, it's funny because uh, William Temple, Bishop of Manchester, back in 1944, he said, church is the only society on earth that exists for the benefit of non-members. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true of great churches. Great churches realize we're here for the Lord, but we're more than just as much of that and with passion for the cause. Mm-hmm. We're here to reach out to people who aren't even a part of us yet and to care for them, to love and care for them. That's awesome. So, you know, when you think of psychology, which is, which is my area, um, you know, what role do you think that it can play parallel with faith, with faith in God, Christian faith? Well, I think it's huge. Uh, number one, um, I have watched God actually heal people physically in a moment. I've never, and, and maybe other people have seen it, I've never seen him do it when it's an emotional or a psychological wound or pain that can be so deep. Uh, And I think part of the reason for that is not that God couldn't do it. It's that God on purpose wants others to come alongside us, Mm -hmm. that God has designed uh, in Genesis, uh, he says it's good for man not to be alone, that when we're in times of pain, when we're in times of hurt, times where we're overwhelmed with something bigger than us, that while God does want to be with us, he wants us to also be with others. And going through a psychological process, getting the right people to help you, uh, can can in the end not only get you closer to God, it causes you to have a better understanding of what it mean, means to love other people and to be with other people too. So I think psychology is huge for that. And I think that when you understand scripture, you see that within scripture. It's interesting because uh, I, like I was telling you before the show, I, I do a lot of crisis work uh, with police and fire and I have all the cruise lines on the west coast that i work with a lot of suicides on those ships and stuff like that and i work that kind of stuff but alongside of me is always a pastor or a minister of some type and they assist and being there with people in those moments is extremely powerful in whatever capacity you're in so how close should a you know, a church come, a pastor come to the congregation as far as things in their personal life, problems in their personal life, especially in a church this big. Yeah, well, I I think that's everything about being a church. You know, while our church is large, the goal is for us to be like a small community or a small town. And um, I I tell the story all the time. I was in a little tiny town in Kentucky and I happened to stop at the Dairy Queen and immediately they knew I was a visitor. You know, they knew I wasn't from town because in a little town like that, if you're not from the town, everyone knows it. Oh, yeah. And I found out something we all wondered and, and it really is true. In those towns, they know each other. They know their neighbors. They know their friends. They know what they do. I think the greatest church, the way the church is designed, is we're a small town, and and we know each other. We know when a person's celebrating something in life, and we know when they're hurting. Uh, We know when that young couple has been trying to have a baby and couldn't, and we come alongside them, and we know about the couple that's lost a child and, and, and doesn't know how to deal with it. And so, you know, we need to be there in every situation together, which means we have to be transparent, we have to be open. And we have to be willing to share honestly about who we are with each other. And then what happens is we're able to be there for each other the way God intended. You know, that's such an important element because when we're in uh, the world of therapy and psychology, we're always asking someone, what is your support system? And many times they don't have one. And, you know, the, the, the truth is there's always one waiting 
there for them if they would just open themselves up to it. They may not have to agree with everything that everyone believes, but, but within a church you can get a support system. And that is so important for people to not be alone. How intimate, um, you know, as far as mental disorders, how much should you f- f- know about mental disorders when you have so many people in your congregation? I mean, should you be aware that some people may have Tourette syndrome or something like that? I mean, are you aware of that kind of stuff, that there are people that are in your congregation that do have some fairly pervasive disorders? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, we, uh, we have people in our church who are dealing with some things that are huge in their lives. And so we are aware of it and we want to be a support and we want to make sure that um, there's not undue guilt heaped upon people who have some of these issues because the reality is that does not help them find a healing and wholeness. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know what? The grace of God is bigger than anything they're dealing with. And so we have, you know, a, a significant number of people who are overwhelmed with some things in their lives that it's just going to be a slow process to help them get through it. You know, people who are cutting because they're in such deep pain, they're harming themselves physically, uh, suicidal thoughts, um, immense depression, mm-hmm. and they don't want to be depressed. And, and we don't make the mistake of just telling them to get over it, mm-hmm. you know, that there's there's some other ways to work through that in a healthy way. And then, of course, people who have suffered crisis and loss that has set some of those things in motion. So we're aware of a lot of that. Tourette syndrome, we uh, definitely have some who have Tourette syndrome. and. Uh, even a couple with Asperger's right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, they're a vital part of our church family. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they're all uh, people you just have to accept, work with, and find a way to, to help them. You know, is a person committing a sin if they have a mental disorder that may cause the problem that they've sinned? Uh, for instance, like a bipolar person who may go off and or, you know, somebody that may have started affairs because they have an impulsivity issue of some type that, that's extremely strong. How is that dealt with from the perspective of faith and, and Christian faith? Well, I, um, I believe, first of all, it's a sin. No matter it, 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 whether someone has a mental health problem that's beyond them or not. Anything we do that's against God's will is sin, and there is a responsibility towards that. So, for instance, if I lie, I'm committing a sin. Uh, If I do something and I find out later on it was wrong, it's still a sin. But in saying that, there's what we need to point to is whenever there's sin mentioned in Scripture, there's always a call to forgiveness and grace. And so it doesn't mean it's not a sin if someone does it and is not aware of it. What it does mean, though, is God is not, you know, uh, you know, God knows them. He knows their heart. He knows what they meant to do. He knows all those things. So God's grace is there for someone who knows what they're doing is wrong and for someone who doesn't know what they're doing wrong. And we study the Old Testament, interestingly. There actually was a sacrifice for sin that we knew was wrong. There was also a sacrifice for sin that no one knew was wrong. In other words, oh, the unintentional sin. And so one of the there's five sacrifices in the Old Testament. One is the guilt offering and one is the sin offering. And the guilt would be you knew what you were doing wrong. The sin offering is when you didn't know what you were doing is wrong. Jesus came as the ultimate offering. And Jesus, by dying on the cross, died for all the sins we knew we were doing wrong, but also for the sins we did not know. Because God, in the end, doesn't want to deal with sin. He wants to call us to himself. And he wants to forgive sin and bring cleansing. That's interesting. You know, can Christian faith heal pain? 
Well, without a doubt. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. And I'm talking about mental pain. Yeah, and, I'm, and, and when we come to mental pain and emotional scarring, um, there's no doubt that it can. The, the interesting, the, one of the titles of the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the one who comes alongside mm-hmm. and is with us in those moments. And, and then he's also called the comforter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no doubt that God comes to comfort, to heal, to bring wholeness. And so all of that can be healed. Interesting. Interesting. You know, if, if someone of faith commits abuse, how, how is that viewed? Now I'm talking about like verbal or physical abuse. I mean, I know, I know there's, you know, in a large congregation, you're going to have, be faced with those issues at times. I mean, how, how have you been challenged with that at times? Um, I, I think that without a doubt, um, one of the first things we want to know, are people willing to take responsibility for what they've done? And, um, and, and actually own what they've done and become aware of what they've done so that they can actually come to a place where they realize that they, can't, they, they not only should not do that anymore, but they can start to understand what caused that mm-hmm. to occur. You know, we don't want to minimize uh, abuse, physical and, and, and mental abuse that mm-hmm. happens or verbal abuse or sexual abuse. They're all da- equally damaging and wounding. And so the perpetrator needs to know that there was something really, really evil about what occurred, but also that God can cure them and God can take them to a place where they don't do that anymore. But to me, it all starts with being responsible and then what the Bible calls repenting, choosing to, to get, even if you need someone to help you, turn and go the other way and not be that way anymore. That's awesome. We're going to take a break. We're going to come right back with Pastor Chuck from Crossroads Christian Church. Thank you for listening. your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough. 
But if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on the email host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology. Welcome back to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. We are talking to Pastor Chuck Boer of Crossroads Christian Church in Corona, California. Now, I have a question for you. you know, a lot of people understand the word faith, but actually practicing faith in a person's life, what, what, what is that to you? Well, um, to me, the whole idea of faith is a loving trust. And, and faith is when you actually realize that not only that God loves you, but you're willing to love him back in return and then trust him. So faith is to me when now I not only know I, that God loves me, but I know he cares for me enough that I want to do things his way. And I want to follow his plan and his, it's revealed in the Bible and also his guidance that he brings to the Holy Spirit. And so I'm only truly have faith when I am actually choosing to follow what he says, you know, because that means I truly love him and I truly trust him. And I'm truly willing to do what God calls me to do, even at times when I don't understand it. That's, that's great. You know, with uh, married couples that are going through rough times, I, I oftentimes tell them, let's set a new contract. Let's, let's make a new agreement. And I'm not asking you to trust each other, but I'm asking you to have faith in each other and act like you trust each other until you do. And by doing that, people get out of their comfort zone of anger and, and all the punishment that they give each other, and they begin to heal. And, and I, I just find faith to be an invaluable lesson for people. Um, you know, what about forgiveness? Forgiveness is something people talk about all the time. I want to forgive. But I can tell you I could make a living for the next thousand years at least 24 hours a day talking to people who talk about forgiveness but don't know how to forgive. What is your perspective on that? Um, well, first of all, I think you're right. I think forgiveness has become very difficult in uh, a lot of people but and in our society as a whole. Um, what I see scripturally is forgiveness is clearly not saying that what the person did is okay. So in other words, we are, we're, they're, for forgiveness to occur, there has to have been a wrong committed. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying what they did was not wrong. We're not saying it's okay. We're not even saying it's forgotten. What we're saying is I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. And even more, I'm not going to allow that to affect my life anymore. And while I do believe forgiveness should be given to someone and it can make them uh, free, it can make them, you know, a, 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 a better. The truth of the matter is whenever anybody forgives biblically, it takes the power of what was done against them away from them. It's Mm -hmm. almost like forgiveness is maybe a little bit selfish Mm -hmm. because now that can't have any power in my life anymore. But it doesn't mean it's not going to be something I think about or I'm not aware of. And it's certainly not saying what was done is okay. Mm -hmm. It's saying what you did was wrong, but I'm not going to hold this against you and I'm not going to let it have power in my life anymore. Yeah. You know, it's uh, from a psychological perspective, I take it uh, I, I agree 100 million percent with you because honestly, with forgiveness, it's such a hard concept for people to understand. But what I always tell people is look at the intention. Examine, instead of looking at the result, let's talk about the intention. Because most of the time, people are well-intended that do bad things. They think they're doing something good, but they have forgotten many elements and they have discovered they'd done something gravely horrible. 
And, and if you examine intentions, sometimes you find forgiveness a lot quicker. I don't know your thoughts on that. Well, I think that's true. You know, I, I know the Bible talks about love hopes all things and believes all things and endures all things. And so uh, in so many cases, um, people did have the best intention. And I found when you sit in a conflict situation, most people rise to a higher level than we think they will. You know, they actually handle it better. Um, but I do know there are times people actually intended to do something wrong. And we still can forgive in those situations. Mm-hmm. And it frees us. Yes. It may free them, but it definitely frees us. And I deal with lots of people in our church who were um, hurt in a way that was intended. But that problem is they still have their bondage to it mm-hmm. because they've never truly forgiven the person. And until that happens, then it, it has power in their life. And I think forgiveness gives us an amazing freedom. I, I think the best lesson is to learn how to forgive your parents. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. If you could do that yeah. <laughs> for whatever they did, yeah. <laughs> then you can you can move on. <laughs> yeah. Now you know what is concerning to you about atheists or agnostic people. I mean, is there? Do you, does that bother you that there are a lot of people are so against the concept of God? Well, it bothers me because I care about them. Um, I, I know that God is real. I know that Jesus Christ is, is real. I know that he came and lived the most amazing life ever and died on the cross for our sins because he loves us. And um, I see a person who's an atheist or agnostic as, as someone who may be well-intentioned, but the truth is it's like a, a, a child who doesn't think they have a father, that the father now is willing to come into their life and they're not willing to accept it, all that could come with it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's where I get concerned. Not on, You know, we can have the intellectual arguments all the, all the time and disagree, but I'm concerned what they're missing out on, the love, the benefit of their life, what they were intended for. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that there's more to this world than what's in this world, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, and, and I really believe with all my heart, if they knew God's love and could receive God's love, it would change everything for them and for the better. And so that's why I get concerned. This is kind of a question that a lot of people have made certain conclusions on as far as suicide. Does suicide mean a person is going to go to hell? It would not definitely mean that, No. Um, clearly the, the Bible actually teaches those only one unforgivable sin. And that is to not actually give your life to Christ, to not embrace Christ as your Lord and savior. So suicide would not be the unforgivable sin. And while, you know, we always want no one to come to a place where so desperate and so filled with despair and so overwhelmed that they would choose something that drastic. And we would wish and hope and pray that somehow we could help them or they would turn and open up. Um, you know, in the end, we can't say what happens to somebody. I, mm-hmm. We don't know their heart. Mm-hmm. And we certainly don't know what they're dealing with. You know, I think life can be so hard mm-hmm. and people can be so overwhelmed or things can occur uh, again um, that where they're not even aware of what they're doing in reality. It, they've reached that kind of desperation that I don't think it's right for us to ever judge uh, what happens in that situation. But obviously, I know you're in agreement. I'm in agreement. And we'd want to get a hold of someone well before they create that situation. Yeah, I see. And I'm, I've got a whole show on it. But the bottom line is it's pain management. Yeah. You know, they're in such a deep pain that all they can think about is the pain they're in. And if you can find a way to get them outside of that pain to see the other people in their lives that that their their suicide could affect, 
they begin to understand all the people they've forgotten and they begin to open their lives up a lot. It's an interesting thing dealing with suicide. I deal with it on an almost daily basis. It's, it's unfortunate. It's very scary, but it's also very fulfilling to help people through that world. Um, if you understand it, if you understand the psychology, you can really help. But, you know, faith also plays an enormous, enormous factor in that uh, because when you're in a congregation, you're naturally touching other people's lives, and that's not a way you want to guide people. Um, can someone just believe and not go to church, believe in God and not go to church? Is that okay? Well, I, first of all, I'd say, no, it's not okay. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I didn't think it would. <laughs> but it is possible to believe and not go to church, and it would even be possible to be a Christian and not go to church. Uh, but that's not God's call. You know, mm-hmm. God's call is that we should not be alone. And one of the things we're taught in First John is if we love the Lord, then, then we love other people. And God, one of the verses actually says, how can I say I love God whom I'm not seen if I won't love my brother whom I have? And if we understand that the church in reality is a family, it's, it's God's family, then it's possible not to be with the family and yet you're still a member of it. Mm-hmm. But a healthy person would be with the family. So a healthy Christian, someone with a healthy belief in God would be in church, but not attending a big gathering and sitting in a seat. It's about actually being a part of the church, mm-hmm. you know, knowing people, loving people, sharing with people, uh, being there for others, letting others be there for you. And so it would not be okay not to go, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, it's possible you could believe in God and not go. Well, I know you, you have a lot of folks that, that uh, have groups in their own homes, and that's, that's become quite a popular thing is to have a group and worship within your own home. I think that's an incredible thing. Now, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you, do you believe in evil? And where does evil live? Well, I do believe in evil. And um, I believe, number one, that evil lives within the hearts of each person. You know, that there is not anybody uh, uh, outside of Jesus that, that doesn't have a degree of evil within them. Uh, you know, the whole sin nature idea that's there. And so we all have that. And so that would hopefully cause us not to point the finger too quickly at others, knowing Mm -hmm. we wrestle with that ourselves. I do believe, though, that there is a devil and there is the demonic and that Satan and and the demonic tries to incite even more evil in this world and in other people. And uh, the sad thing about evil is I think evil breeds evil. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, I'm not a psychologist, but, you know, the whole idea of how crowds can actually start to, um, go, you know, deviate away from morality into something that they never thought they'd do because they're in a crowd culture. It's called pas de deux. Oh, is that what it's <laughs> yes. called? Again? I didn't know that. It's an, an actual, it's an actual yeah. diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, and how, where does that come from, you know? And yeah. yet it, it's, it, it, it is there. It's in each one of us that if it gets incited. Mm-hmm. That's, it's interesting. You know, do you believe that there's such thing as evil spirits? Oh, definitely. Yeah, okay. I, I really do. And Um, You know, I mean, number one, the Bible teaches it. So we see that Jesus interacted and actually cast evil spirits or, you know, demons out of people Um, that I have personally dealt with it. Um, I have um, experienced it. I don't I I would never want to experience it again. Mm -hmm. I may have to. Mm -hmm. But when I did, it was so real. It was so apparent. It was as much as if I was saying I'm in the same presence of you right now. I know Mm -hmm. it was there. Mm -hmm. And the way it manifested was so beyond what would have been in the realm of our own normal sphere uh, that we normally deal with that I was clearly demonic. Wow. Wow. Well, Mae West said, when I have to choose between two evils, I like to try the one I never tried before. (laughs) 
I'm just trying to put a little, a little levity yeah. in there. <laughs> There's a surge in the church, and it's particularly in uh, non-affiliated Christian churches around the world. What do you think is causing that? Non-affiliated Christian churches. I think what it does is um, the fact of what we're seeing today is churches that are um, literally built within Scripture. In other words, their number one source of their authority is the Bible. And they're, they're able to love other groups who have that same view, which is what the church should do. And we're not dividing anymore. So it's interesting, the non-affiliate groups are probably the most in the unity of anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really appreciate the other churches. They love the other churches. They want other churches to do well. And I think that's what God always wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think most people don't want churches that divide. They want churches that unite. That unite, yes. Yeah, and which is, you know, what a non-believer usually under, looks and thinks, why wouldn't Christians love each other? Mm-hmm. So that's what I think is sparking this unity, is there really is a love and a unity in the midst of funny not being affiliated, just mm-hmm. doing it because we love each other. And that's probably the best motive you can possibly have. You know, why is attending and serving within a Christian church so important and how can it benefit people? Not only attending, but serving within a church. Well, I would say this. When someone's a Christian, there's no doubt the Bible teaches that they're given a spiritual gift and the spiritual gift is to be used within the church to benefit others. And Jesus taught us that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all. And every one of us were intended not to live our life selfishly, but selflessly and to serve others and to care for others. So we're only going to fulfill God's will for our life. We're only going to fulfill our purpose in life when we uh, seek to care for other people. And within the church should be a safe place to do that. And within the church, everybody has a vital part in doing it. And so what happens is we find our, our, our fulfilling. We find that abundant life Jesus talks about. We find the desires of our heart being met not by seeking to get what I want, but by seeking to help you and love you and care for you. And we do that, all of a sudden we find the fulfillment in life God always intended. Awesome. You know, what is the difference in religion and church? I think the biggest difference in religion is religion tends to be man-made rules to try to get holiness or man-made rules to kind of, you know, give us a, a life where we think it's going to be fulfilling. But the church is about a relationship. It's about a relationship with God and loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and about loving others. Jesus said the second greatest command is to love others the way I've loved you. And church should be about love. It should be about loving God and loving others. And not. And, and what happens is the reason we don't do certain things is out of love for God. And the reason we do do certain things is out of love. And when we do that, it's not about rules anymore. It's not about works. It's about love. And it's about receiving the grace of God and the faith and God ends up growing because of that. You know, did, did you, and we've only got a couple of minutes for a break, but did you study philosophy and psychology when you were studying to be a pastor? Yeah, I did. And, and uh, it's Hope University is where I graduated from, and, and those were required classes. And so I did. And actually, uh, I didn't like my philosophy classes, but I loved my psychology classes. <laughs> But since leaving school, I've studied more even. I've I've Uh enjoyed reading more and studying more and and, and learning more. Yes, yeah. You know, I I travel a lot. I travel around the world, and and I I find that studying all faiths, I have clients of all faiths in my my practice, but also studying philosophy and and psychology, it's it's enormously helpful to understanding different cultures. Um, And, uh, you know, just going to Athens, (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and being there where all those philosophers is, is, you know, rather enriching. It teaches you a lot about education. 
um, because philosophy does help from a sense of teaching people how to learn. It does open that avenue for people. Um, how, you know, you are interested in Greek language, and I know you bring that to a lot of your sermons, and I want to talk about that. We're going to take a break here, but I want to talk about that when we come back. All right, everybody, we're going to take a break. We'll come back, and I look forward to more conversation with Pastor Chuck Moore of Crossroads Christian Church in Corona, California. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough. But if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on the email host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology. Welcome back to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. I am so fortunate once again to be talking to Pastor Chuck Boer of Crossroads Christian Church in Corona, California. And uh, once again, I wanted to ask you about the Greek studies. I mean, you have such an understanding of the Bible and Greek studies. Where does that come from? Well, it, it first of all, is um, something that takes a lot of uh, uh, studying to do. I mean, I don't just read Greek e- at all, but I've been learning the Greek tools, and I was taught that in college, and over the years, I feel like I've gotten better and better at it. But, um, you know, it, it's one of, it's, it, it, when you, the more you study it, the richer the Bible becomes. Bible originally, the, the, the massively distributed first Bible wasn't that written in Greek? Is that correct? Well, the Old Testament was written, written in he- Hebrew with some Aramaic, and then the New Testament was written in what's called Koine Greek, uh, which was the, the common Greek language of that day. It doesn't exist in our time. Mo- modern Greek 
would be uh, closely aligned to it, but not truly uh, uh, the same thing. I get you. And so when you're studying an ancient language like that, it's mm-hmm. kind of fun to dig in. Of course, we always lean on all the scholars. Mm-hmm. The great, there's over the years amazing scholars who really can bring a lot of mm-hmm. understanding to the, the Koine Greek that we read in the New Testament. Well, I truly admire you. <laughs> I have trouble enough just learning Spanish. <laughs> Rosetta Stone. <laughs> Now, you know, what have you seen in people who heal themselves spiritually through finding God? I mean, people that actually find God and have a catharsis, an epiphany, a moment of clarity where their life has changed. What, what kind of things have you seen in your life when, you, when people have found God? Well, I, I've seen a lot um, over the years of amazing people who, you know, have had literally a transformation because they opened up to the Lord and found Jesus. Um, we have a woman in our church right now who struggled with a really horrible um, self-abuse and cutting and suicidal thoughts and losing herself to anger and hitting walls and 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 just really not able to function. And then now that she's found the Lord, she just is literally months and months and months uh, without having one. Not one time. Wow. Uh, Once she gave her life to Christ, she woke up every day wondering if it was going to come back, and it hasn't come back yet. And so we're watching her go from a person who thought she was ready to take her life to a person who's enjoying life. Uh, Matter of fact, she works to even feed the homeless today. She's just become a wonderful, wonderful person to be around. And um, you know what? She's just transformed, and there's no other explanation after this. Uh, we've watched people be freed from alcoholism, from drug abuse. You know, we've watched uh, a lot of people uh, who were really severely hurt through eating disorders mm-hmm. come to know the Lord. And then now today they're able to not be held in bondage to mm-hmm. that. You know, I always tell people that uh, self-love is learning how to say no to things that hurt you. Mm-hmm. If things are destructive in your life and you can learn how to say no to them, then you can change your life. But sometimes people really need more than that. They, you know, you can say those things and it's convenient. They need help. They need something bigger, a partner, something to join them. And, and if people can grasp the concept of God, I've seen many people do that and find their change is much more comfortable than changing without any support whatsoever. Um, can a lack of faith fe- affect people's physical health? Oh, definitely. You know, I, there's no doubt in my mind about that. I, I believe that it affects their physical health, uh, for one, because now they don't have any way to deal with immense stress. They can take huge tolls on their body. And when we're walking with the Lord, not that life's easy. As a matter of fact, we're told constantly that we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. But Jesus said, I have given you my word so that you might have peace. And he's done it so that we might have joy. And, and we even are to have a peace that passes understanding. And so, you know, not that Christians can't struggle or people of faith can't struggle, but the bottom line is when we get it right and when we really are aligned with the Lord, it it, it takes away that stress. It takes away that fretting. It takes away that worry that can have such a toll on us. I also think the other thing is there's a a fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control. And, um, you know, it's funny because a lot of Christians are struggling to see that actually take hold, but I've watched it take hold. So I've seen people um, who never could lose weight before and now because of self-control and that they never had before are able to get their bodies, you know, at the right uh, weight and, and actually they practice the self-discipline to exercise. And it really is more spiritual than anybody knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we've seen people, you know, just uh, recover in lots of other areas where God has done that for them. 
you know, but I, I think that's one of the things we're watching happen is we've seen people get healthier. Yeah, it's a transformation completely. When you, sometimes you change your mind, you change your whole life. Yeah. You know, there's a book called Habits. It's a really interesting book, and it talks about if you can just change one thing in your life, you've proven to yourself you can change, and it will give you the confidence that you can change so many other things. That's a general theme from the book. But there's example, example after example that, that it demonstrates. And it's just simple as that. But once again, faith is an element in there that if I'm going to change, I have to have the courage to change. How far do you believe a psychologist, somebody that just practices psychology, a therapist, without faith-based backing, how far do you think that they can go in wholeness? Now, that's a hard question. Yeah, I, I would say you know obviously uh, there's but it, it's hard to general or to generalize the answer because there may be specific times that it would not um, be true, but I would say in general um, a psychologist who's practicing um, healthy ideas and not attacking someone's faith uh, but encouraging them towards it is going to help someone find wholeness. Um, and I clearly, I know there's a lot in psychology that just is true. You know, it's because God made us that way and people have studied it and know it to be true. So, I, you know, psychology becomes very important that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I work with so many people of so many different religions and so many different backgrounds, of so many different cultures from all over the world. But the, the one thing that I've found in, in a lot of the work that I've done over all these years is that practicing Christian values is universal. It touches almost every religion, no matter, you can call it values or whatever, but they are Christian values. And, and usually when I go back to that, it, it speaks universally, no matter where they come from. What do you feel uh, we share in our, my field, psychology, your, your field, Christianity, in our respective fields as far as common goals? I've stated what I thought, but what do you think are our common goals? Well, I, I think there are a lot of common goals, again, and I'd say, number one, we want people to find love, and we want them to be able to have relationships that are healthy and not dysfunctional, and, and ones that where they can deal with conflict, because every relationship is going to have conflict, but can they do it in a healthy way without you know, being destructive or self-destructive in what's happening? Uh, we want people to, um, to find their, their goal in life. We want them to know their purpose, and we want them to fulfill it. And the other is, I think, just hit me is, one of the major things I know we have in common is we don't want people to live in fear. Mm. You know, and so many people are living in fear that can paralyze them, uh, or it, it just keeps them from something. And, you know, clearly part of what psychology, I assume, would want to do is to help people not be fear-based or fear-bound. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's the idea of Christianity. We know the perfect love, the perfect love of God casts out fear. And that faith and fear actually are the opposite of each other. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we want people to come to a place where they're not making their decisions based on fear, but, but they're, they're making it for healthier reasons. That's a very good point because uh, I always tell people when fear enters, faith leaves. Yeah. When faith enters, fear leaves. Now, if I want to look at a fear-based life, I'd fear my partner's going to leave me or going to do something terrible to me, or I'm going to live in faith and believe that they're there and they want to be with me and that nothing bad's going to happen. Which one would I want to live in? Yeah. You know, there's a huge difference. And sadly, there's an enormous population of people, even of faith, that live in fear. 
and, and getting them out of that is such a hard thing. I call it a philosophy almost of their personal philosophy of life. What are your thoughts on that? Well, no, I think that's really true. And, and you know, I believe without a doubt there is an enemy. There is, there is the devil. And he always wants to bring fear. And I think we live in a world that in and of itself is so insecure. Um, you know, that, that what happens is people end up not, you know, we're not sure of the economy. We're not sure of marriage anymore. Um, you know, you watch so many marriages going up in flames, you know, and, mm-hmm. and going down. We watch our children being exposed to things that, you know, we don't have as much control over as we used to. And so there's so many things out there. And, and yet what happens is once fear takes hold, it's like it roots in. It very often, and I know you deal with this, it becomes beyond reality. Mm-hmm. And so they're afraid of things that are never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so much of what I've helped try to work with people on is the thing they're actually afraid of, the possibility of it occurring is almost not going to happen. And even if it does, it's not going to be as bad as they thought. Right. And then if you're a Christian, you can overcome it anyway. So it has no, it should not have any bearing in our life, but people are afraid. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually went out and interviewed, uh, I think it was 1,100 people, it might have been 1,300 people who do not even attend Crossroads. And we asked them, what's your number one challenge? And without a doubt, everything tied back to fear. They were afraid of something. Yeah. Yes. It can actually run your life. Yeah. It actually can be your life, unfortunately. You know, how important are boundaries, learning how to say no, and self-discipline to maintaining wholeness and walking a Christian life? Boundaries and self-discipline. Well, I'd say, um, yeah, they, clearly it's, it's, it's paramount to our walking in the Christian life. You know, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And self-control is an ability to set those, those healthy boundaries. And, um, you know, I feel like that too often, you know, we see people who try to ask us to do more than we can do because not, no, I'm, I'm not the Messiah, you're not the Messiah, mm-hmm. and we can't be for people. Right. And so we can help them. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually can't solve anyone's problem for them. I might be able to give them some great advice. But um, it becomes dysfunctional when they believe that I or anyone else is going to be the one that's going to finally give them that completeness and happiness. So in setting a boundary, I'm actually able to help them, but also not, not make them so dependent on me that they don't, number one, turn to God, but also not find their own self-strength and self-worth. The other thing I've noticed is so much of what people are doing is based on guilt. Mm. And that guilt usually means that I'm going to allow them to violate a healthy boundary and have more control in my life than they should have. So, you know what? Parents do that with children. Uh, How much of what they're doing is out of guilt, not what's best for the child, especially an adult child who ought to get a job, you know, or something like that. Um, Spouses do that to each other. They operate on guilt versus on what's healthy. Um, And, of course, then we see people violating boundaries in the workplace all the time. Uh, But it really is important to have peace. You can't have peace if people are violating healthy boundaries, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. it's You know, here's an odd question, but... After somebody's baptized, <laughs> what happens if they commit a sin? <laughs> Can they not, do they have to go back and get a refund and start all over? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, no, I'm not. Yeah, baptism is, is um, a time when I actually am expressing my worship to the Lord and the fact that I have given my life to Him and I want to live my life for Him and I realize I'm a new creation. But the Bible teaches a righteous man falls even seven times. And so here's the good news. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't, and we say yes to that, he didn't die just for the sins I committed up to that point. He does die, died for the ones I will commit. Mm-hmm. 
And so baptism actually isn't to be forgiven as sin. It's because I know he has forgiven me. So, no, you don't have to get baptized again. (laughs) You know, what happens when you do something you didn't like yourself doing, and then you have to go face your massive congregation and actually minister them to God? (laughs) How do you deal with that? (laughs) Well, uh, I'd say number one is I try, and you've heard me preach, I try to admit that I'm not perfect. You know, I try to be transparent about that and, and not put on a show um, and by the way, sometimes uh, my wife and, and some of my other staff and my elders think I'm too open about that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's one thing. The other is my reason to minister isn't because of who I am. It's because of who Jesus is. Yeah. And so, you know, in the end, if anybody looks to me for perfection, they're already in trouble. <laughs> and so I only want to point them to the one who is perfect. And that's the Lord. Right. Right. Good answer. <laughs> Well, um, I just want to thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Chuck. It's been such a great pleasure. We're once again here at uh, Crossroads Christian Church in Corona. And uh, I just want to state a couple things, uh, things people do that drive people crazy in church. Uh, Number one is waving their hands in your face when you sit behind them. (laughs) Number two, singing out of tune. (laughs) uh, uh, Number three, Assume that you actually know the Bible when you're in attendance. (laughs) Number four, yell at random words and phrases like they have Tourette's syndrome. (laughs) Number five, ask me if they can pray for me. (laughs) The number six, uh, passing gas or having a horrible body order when the church is packed. And the last is, bring the little children and fall asleep. (laughs) So those are some things that if you go to church, you may have a few problems in those areas, but that happens and that's life. (laughs) And that could happen anywhere, especially on airplanes. All right, now, (laughs) next episode uh, is parenting, which is uh, like herding squirrels. The next after that is divorce and step-parenting, the joy of thankless living, sex and relationships, how to keep it up, childhood issues, Prozac moments, personality disorders, can't you find a UFO to haul your ass back home, and suicide, death, and grieving, the art of living miserably. Now, we're going to have some shows on crisis intervention, wellness, and organizational psychology with Dr. Nancy Bull and Dr. Wayne McAfee, and they'll be my special guests on a few of those shows, so I want to thank them. That's our show, folks, and I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank you again, Pastor Chuck. It's been a great pleasure. And I would love to hear from all of you at drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Remember, build a man a fire and he'll be warm for an hour. Set a man on fire and he'll be warm for the rest of his life. Thank you. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Monday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericaempowerment.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 